After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. You know, Josh, I was figuring that this would happen at some point. Wasn't sure how soon, how quickly into the new season. I don't know if we can even call it a new season anymore because we're a month into the NHL season. I knew it was going to occur. Wasn't sure when, but we have reached the point where we have our first multi-suspension week. I don't know if that's something we should be celebrating or not. Probably not, I'm thinking. I'm not sure. We've got the the good news that it shows that player safety is taking action and they're they're disciplining these players. They're they're finding situations that needed to be addressed. But the bad news is that players are taking liberties already and doing things that need to be addressed by player safety. So I, I I'm not sure, Todd. It's 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 a bit of the bad and a bit of the even worse. Maybe that is probably the way to to look at it. So we'll examine the suspensions and discipline and the like for this past week and also kind of look around the NHL. This is, of course, the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure that you are following Josh on the social channels at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. You'll get me at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram as well. On this week's episode, Kachuk gets two for high sticking. Anderson and Slavkovsky get two for boarding. Kaprizov gets a match and a little addendum to our offside challenge discussion from the last edition of the podcast. I, I, I was really surprised just to see, oh, there's a hearing. Oh, there's another hearing. <laughs> and it was just, I, I mean, you almost needed a Google calendar to, to follow how many hearings were taking place this past week. Yeah, it had to be exciting for the folks, you know, scheduling all the, the Zoom calls or the video conferences <laughs> or the, the phone calls and the conferences and having Having those chats on back-to-back-to-back situations there, interesting and even more interesting when you see some of the same teams show up multiple times in the course of a week. Indeed. Let's deal with, I think, what is probably the simplest, most straightforward incident from this past week, and that involved Josh Anderson of the Montreal Canadiens. Picked up a two-game suspension for boarding Vegas Golden Knights defenseman Alex Petrangelo. In the game, Anderson pursues the Knights defenseman as he moves the puck out of his own zone. It kind of gets bobbled. Petrangelo looks down. He's still trying to move the puck. And Anderson took a direct path into the back of Alex Petrangelo, sent him face first into the boards. And as you can imagine, that wasn't very well received. As much as I don't like describing it this way because it makes it sound too frequent, this was a classic example of hitting from behind. Easy call here to suspend him a couple of games. Yeah, absolutely. It's the the right call on the ice, the right call for the suspension here. Petrangelo was lucky to avoid injury. The visor actually hit the dasher and protected his face from probably a serious injury on the play. So fortunate there, but I don't think that the lack of injury should take away. And in this case, nice to see that the suspension was still implemented, even though we didn't have an injury on the play. Easy call, textbook case. 
that's one of the things that I guess is taken into consideration, but isn't a determining factor about suspensions, correct? Is the injury to the receiving player? That's right. Player safety looks at it after the fact. So when they're evaluating a play, they first want to see if the incident itself is a suspendable offense. So regardless of the players involved, regardless of the outcome, was this hit deserving of a suspension? And if it's a yes, then they look at the players they see if the player has a history or or has had run-ins with player safety in the past. And then they look to see if the outcome resulted in an injury. And both of those can add on to what the suspension is. So you might be looking at two games for the hit, but if a guy has done this before or you're looking at a major injury on the play, then maybe they tack on a game or two. So they use it to add to the suspension, but initially they're looking up front for, is this a suspendable hit? And then if so, what are we going to add to it? Okay, I understand better. Let's deal with the Canadiens' teammate of Anderson, and that is rookie Uri Slavkovsky, who earned himself a five-minute major, a game misconduct, also for a hit from behind. This one on Detroit Red Wings' Matt Luff was late in the third period of the contest. Luff was pursuing the puck. Slavkovsky sends him sailing into the boards. Needless to say, everyone got upset afterwards, and the Habs' first overall pick was sent off for the penalties. He also got a hearing, his first disciplinary hearing with the Department of Player Safety. Luff is gone 10 to 12 weeks following wrist surgery. Slavkovsky is suspended for two games, and I'm thinking probably the injury plays into the severity of the penalty in this one. Yeah, I would think so. I mean... It's it's so hard. You want to hand out some justice for a guy getting injured. But at the same time, I feel like so much of it is based on intent because you can have a clean hit that results in an injury that isn't a suspendable offense. And you can have a questionable hit that may or may not result in injury. And sometimes it's hard to find that balance of you know, how egregious was the hit? How much was this an intent to injure versus just a check on a guy with poor body position and he landed awkwardly in the boards and, and that caused the injury? So I know player safety tries to evaluate that on was the injury directly from the illegal hit or was it just the course of action that the player fell awkwardly afterwards? And it's it's a tough balance there to see. But for a, a guy who's new to the league, who doesn't have any player safety history, obviously, to, to get two games, I think, is probably you're looking at a factor of the injury there and such a similar play to what we saw with his teammate Anderson, where you've got a guy trying to corral the puck or playing a loose puck along the boards. He's got his back to center ice. He's focused on the puck and effectively defenseless. And that's what we saw in both of those plays. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm glad to see a couple games for this just because it is such a dangerous situation, regardless of whether the player is actually injured or not couple of thoughts here on this, and in fact, these two suspensions. I think that a hit from behind of this nature, where you do send the opponent crashing heavily into the boards, I would be okay with two games as a starting point for a suspension for a hit from behind. And, and in fact, if you want to double it for any subsequent offense, I'm okay with that too. I don't think that's necessarily a bad approach. I think that the hard part, you don't want to have player safety and they've done this with the NHL rulebook to a certain extent. You don't want to have the officials or player safety painted into a corner where now they're trying to determine how to assess that penalty. You put a two game minimum on boarding and maybe are they going to call it checking from behind or vice versa? Mm -hmm. Two game minimum on checking from behind and they'll say, well, no, no, we're going to call that one boarding so we can just give them one game. We see it with 
Slewfoot versus Dangerous Trip, where sometimes a Slewfoot isn't a Slewfoot. So I think it's a sound philosophy. I think we just need to have the officials and player safety. And of course, the Players Association has to buy in as well. But need everybody on board on the definition of what it is and then to to actually enforce it that way, because I think it's smart. And I think the types of hits that you want to get out of the game, the best way to do it is to take a stronger stance. And maybe it is with minimum suspensions for specific types of situations. And I think Anderson and Slavkovsky, with the similarity of the two hits and, and how we've seen them disciplined in the past, probably a good place to start. Here's the other part with this situation with Yuri Slavkovsky is that that's a very severe injury that Matt Love suffered to be gone for 10 to 12 weeks. And I, and I think this is an applicable case when you want to have the debate of, well, if you're suspending someone, they should remain out of the lineup as long as the injured player remains out of the lineup. I don't think that that would be a fair penalty in this case. No, and we've seen that where sometimes there's an injury that the hit wasn't quite as bad, but the injury was quite severe. Or what do you do with a career ending injury? What if it's a, a hit that sees a guy who's not able to resume his career and you can't have a player suspended indefinitely because of that? So I get the idea behind it, but it just doesn't work out when you start to put it into practice especially with the nature of the hits and the injuries they cause and the severity and, you know, even does it require surgery or not? Well, a suspended player is going to say, let's get this guy back on the ice, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's really a tough, a tough comparison to make. I get where they're coming from. And, and my, my controversial take is as much as we can't do that, I'd rather see repeat offenders who get suspended, have the team also be suspended a roster spot so that they can't dress another player in the place of that person. But uh, the, the, Players Association, they'll never let that one fly. No, they're in charge of getting as many players, as many dollars as possible. And having someone sit out an empty roster spot certainly wouldn't do it. But that's that is a significant punishment for a team, especially when you have to take the salary cap into consideration. That that really is something that maybe could be looked at. I think it'd be a great deterrent. I think it would prompt coaches and even general managers to make sure that they have players who are not getting themselves suspended at risk of, of losing a roster spot. But yeah, I think the buy-in on that one's going to be a pretty tough sell. One other suspension from this past week, boy, make it sound like we just have a whole bunch all the time. <laughs> the other suspension from this past week, Florida forward, Matthew Kachuk. End of play in the game against the LA Kings, Kachuk doing his best to play the role of the agitator, which he relishes. Kings goaltender Jonathan Quick on the ice, smothering the puck. Kachuk takes his stick, does a little poke to the face of the goalie. Ah, he's wearing a mask. What's the harm? Uh, yeah, this is really not cool. Penalties were handed out. Kachuk got a hearing and a two-game suspension for this. Few things here. You and I texted quickly about it afterwards. He has been suspended three times already in his career. And it, it's a fairly significant career of 440-something uh, games. One suspension, and he's also been fined previously for stick work. So there's history. He only gets two games for poking at a goaltender's face with his stick? Doesn't seem nearly severe enough to me. No, I, man, and this is one of those ones where, again... There wasn't a serious injury on the play, but there could have been. So obviously the, the injury may have been a consideration, but there wasn't one as Quick remained in the game. What gets me is the intent. There's no way he was doing anything other than trying to whack 
quick in the face with his stick. Whether he was trying to get it through the eye hole, which, by the way, if, if you look at the video, he turned his stick to try to get the right angle, appears to be his intent. But even if not, he's provoking quick. He's trying to antagonize him. He's trying to start something by whacking the goaltender in the face with his stick. So this is not a hockey play. There is nothing happening here other than Kachuk intending to injure an opposing player. So when you're talking minimum suspensions, Todd, I think w situations like this where there was nothing positive that could come out of this. This wasn't a situation where you could have made a legal hit and you did something wrong. This is 100% an intentional act that had nothing to come out of it but an injury to an opponent. And and a potentially serious injury as we look at, at what eye injuries have done to hockey players in the past, possibly a career-ending one. Two games is not enough for nonsense like this. And you call out his history of stick work, spearing a guy from the bench, slashing a player after he got ejected for spearing somebody else. These types of things are are what Kachuk does. And I think player safety knows that. And between the two, the intent and the history, two games is just way too short. It, it seems puzzling to me that it is only two games. But I, I, I guess this is the personality of of Matthew Kachuk at this point because he is he is meant to be out there to stir things up to be an agitator to bring energy to his team and as you detailed nicely this is not a hockey play he he is trying to poke at the face of the goaltender and yes those sticks do sometimes go through the eye holes on goaltenders helmets and I I, I this could have been absolutely catastrophic, certainly not in his intent, I'm sure, but it could have been absolutely catastrophic and potentially career ending if things go wrong. And sometimes they do. And especially in this case, I think this is where we need to to take more severe action. And and it occurred to me the the comparison at this point with with Matthew Kachuk. He's Brad Marchand from a few years ago, and it, it but it, it just it really seems to fit. He, he's immature. He needs to grow up. Marchand is now considered to be one of the great leaders on the Boston Bruins. It's just Matthew Kachuk hasn't reached that stage. I don't know if he will, but that's what it seems to me. No, and Marchand has learned where the line is, I think. He knows when he's crossing and he knows when he's just edging slightly into it. And, and I think the officials know that. And, for better or worse, they can see that and you get a little more slack. When you're constantly going way over the line with situations like this, they can't give you the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the, the officials missed this call on the ice, and I'm not blaming them because it was from where they were positioned. They were watching the play, the players. There were guys in front of the net. Absolutely not on the officials that there was no penalty call for this particular stick work. So this is where player safety comes in and closes that gap nicely. But when the on-ice officials are out there for his next game and knowing the nonsense he's done in the past and knowing what he was just suspended for, you're going to be paying a little bit more attention to him out there on the ice. And because you're more aware of him being out there, you're more likely to catch him doing something wrong and call a penalty on him. So it's it's almost a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that Kachuk goes over the line too much and now he's going to get called for more penalties. Marchand has figured out how to rein that in a little bit. And, and like you said, we don't know if Kachuk will, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, Brad Marchand came within a lick of getting himself in real trouble, don't you think? <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Okay, let's let's move on. One more, one more that I want to talk about, and I don't know, just it, it, this one. It was a bit puzzling to me, but it just the uh, the other incident involved uh, Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov. So he let his stick do the talking on L.A. Kings defenseman Drew Doughty. They were battling together back and forth, pushing, shoving, all the rest of it. And then the Minnesota player took it up another level. 
and had kind of a cross-checking chop to the chin and shoulder of Dowdy. Play got whistled. After review, Kaprizov gets the full Monty for the stick work, match penalty, attempt injure. And I see the thinking here. This one was debated a bit by Ray Ferraro, who was working as the analyst on the broadcast, and Dave Jackson, who is the officiating expert on ESPN telecast and will tell you is going to be a guest with us in a couple of weeks, which we're thrilled about. But I thought Dave Jackson detailed nicely why this play elevated to a match. It wasn't careless. It wasn't a stick that struck Dowdy during uh, a, a battle for a puck, for instance. It was a deliberate action and got him a $5,000 fine. Was it enough of a penalty is my question. I think the penalty call was spot on. I think it was a match penalty for intent to injure. I think the officials called it right. That's what it looked like on the ice. And and that's how I would have called that if, if, if I were in stripes for that game. Where I'm a little bit confused is when player safety looked at it after the fact and said that this is only a $5,000 fine. You know, we're looking at a situation where it is a clear intent to injure. And the only thing that I can see that would have pulled this back in, in, potentially their assessment of the play is that instead of a, a two-handed chop with the stick or instead of connecting with the stick to Dowdy's face, he catches him in the face with his glove. So it's an intent to injure on a high stick. And just because he missed slightly, he doesn't get a two-game suspension. He gets a $5,000 fine. That's all I've got, Todd. I can't, I can't rationalize it any better when you look at the suspensions that we've had for high-sticking plays recently, especially Kuznetsov, who gets two games for... I thought a very egregious play, and, and this one's right on par. We've got another two-handed move. We've got an intent to injure. We've got a stick up high on a player, and this one only gets a fine. That's exactly the precedent I was going to cite is, is Kuznetsov with Washington, who who did get two games for the, for the whack that he delivered earlier this year. And this one seemed very similar. So it's, it's, this is almost like, well... It, it's not murder, but it's attempted murder. So we're not going to penalize you quite as much. <laughs> exactly. And that's where you, I mean, I guess the law says that you're, you're not because attempted murder is not as severe of a crime. But I think when you're looking at it from a hockey standpoint, if you want to tack on for injury, that's fine. But we're first looking at intent. And if there's an intent to injure, man, I'll go back to your minimum suspension. I think if we determine there's an intent to injure, there's got to be a suspension. Like, let's not look at two games or three games. Let's at least say there was intent. It has to be a game. I mean, that's that's where we start, right? That's the the baseline for how do you get these hits out of the game? How do you get players to stop taking actions that appear to be an intent to injure an opponent? Is you have to do at least a game for it. And and I think Kaprizov deserved more than one, but he he definitely deserved to be suspended for this play. I, I would agree, but I, and I'm not sure how we get to that point because the actions seem to indicate that the NHL, the NHLPA, the players, and and everyone right now seems like there's really no appetite for harsher penalties for these kinds of fouls, and I'm not sure what we do to get to that stage. It's it's crazy because of course the NHL wants, and I, I'm not saying you know the tinfoil hat conspiracist folks can <laughs> jump out here and say, well, Kaprizov's a star; they want him out on the ice because he'll sell tickets, he'll get eyes watching the game, and and that might be true, but you still have to handle him the same way you'd handle a fourth liner when it comes to suspensions or plays like that. The baffling part to me is that. As the NHLPA, when it comes to suspensions and defending guys who are getting fined or suspended and trying to minimize those, what are they doing for the guys who are getting a stick in the face? Where's the NHLPA representative saying, hey, Drew Doughty could have been out for a while with this two-handed stick to the face. 
I want a harsher suspension. And it just doesn't happen, right? It's the league who's looking to penalize and it's the players association that wants to set guys free. So you kind of have that one-sided battle. And I think it's unfortunate because the only advocate for player safety is the NHL, which I, I know folks are questioning how much player safety is concerned with player safety sometimes, but they're the only advocates for the guys who are actually on the receiving end of a lot of these situations. Uh, yeah, this is an argument that could go in circles for quite some time, <laughs> I think. Okay, one more I want to get into just before we wrap up this edition. This is sort of, as, as I mentioned, a bit of an addendum to our discussion of the offside challenge last week. Sean McIndoe had some suggestions on his piece on theathletic.com about what we might want to look at in terms of offside challenges. Again, going back to this week, any of the challenges that were issued, they continue to be correct. You want to get the correct call. I get that. But the argument for not wanting to take goals off the board became elevated when there was a spectacular goal scored by Trevor Zegras of the Anaheim Ducks, who else, against the Minnesota Wild, scoops the puck up behind the net, wheels around the far post, flings it into the top shelf. Wonderfully skillful, dynamic, exciting play that we want to see but immediately nullified by an offside challenge. This one wasn't a quickie 10-second review either. This one took a little bit longer to disseminate. Do we get to the point of, okay, unless it's egregious, we've got to let these go? Oh, boy, Todd, you're opening up the can of worms for interpretation yep. and judgment call on what do we justify as egregious? And and we've been down that road, as, as Sean posted in his article too you know do we look at a time limit do we look at a change in possession i think change in possession is an obvious one i i can go with that but a, a time limit or a, a play that led directly to a goal or do we go back and look at how offside it was you know for one of the few rules in the nhl that is black and white on what is offside and what isn't offside people want to introduce a gray area in there to say you know was it egregiously offside was it just just a little offside or how much did the offside impact the play the one rule we can define, people want to introduce a gray area or judgment or interpretation. It's it's frustrating. Uh, frustrating is one word, yes. I can probably <laughs> think of a few others, too. Yeah, for sure. It's a tough situation because the NHL's stance has been... If we're going to review a play, we're going to get the call right, right? That's that's the whole point is to introduce video review. You don't want to introduce it and do it half-heartedly or, or do it to limit how much you can do. You decide to review it. We're going to do it until we get the call right. And whether you agree with the league's approach or not, they have been consistent in that depending on how long it takes, depending on how many angles, how many freeze frames and slow motions. But that's been their stance is reviews are there to make the right call, not to just make a better call some of the time, not for a second look with limited angles and limited speed replays and things like that. So that's been their stance. They've been pretty consistent with it. I can understand though where fans are coming from in saying like, I know it's black and white. I know we're making the right call, but is this in the spirit of the rule when we were fine for years and years and years, for decades of having the linesman just make the call in real time and we live with it. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, but can we live with it? And and that genie is out of the bottle now. So I guess the, the league's answer is no, no, we can't. So when you said to take off your tinfoil hat, we should put it back <laughs> on now. We're done. Good job. You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. 
Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.